Anyway, I just wanted to thank you for all your hard work for the gospel uh, in the past and now, and you guys are a light in this valley that is amazing to me. The Assemblies of God has always had a special place in my heart. Uh, it was back in 1973 that uh, I was invited to go to revival services. Uh, I wasn't a believer at that time, 15 years old. Invited to go to revival services at the Winston, Oregon Assembly of God Church. We went for a couple nights. I honestly thought that, that these church people were just crazy out of their mind, you know. <laughs> these were some really wild times and wild services. And, I, you know, I'm just a young punk kid that grew up back in Boston, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. But after hearing the gospel, I, uh, that night, later on that night, back at home, I responded to the, the gospel, and I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And then two nights later, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at that church. So that's always been special to me in that regard. As Pastor Jerry said, for many years now, we've met together for lunch. In fact, we just, I think this last month, we went to Abby's Pizza, and as we were walking in the door, he said, you're bald. And uh, I just want to appreciate your powers of observation, <laughs> Pastor Jerry, <laughs> that over these years you figured that out. So <laughs> did you not say that to me? Yes, you did. All right. <laughs> now, I'm going to be real with you right now. He, he didn't ask me to say any of this, but I'm just going to tell you something that's, that's true. I've never in my life met anyone that I felt was a better example of the chief shepherd to, to the people that he pastors. You see, I hear the stories on the other side, and I've, I've seen him weep tears at the table while we talk, rejoicing in the good things and, and the great things that God has been doing in and among you for years and years and years now. You guys have an amazing pastor, and I honestly don't know of another man, I've never met another man that has more the heart of a shepherd in that sense than I, than I have in Jer, uh, Pastor Jerry. And, and uh, besides our chief shepherd, uh, he is the one that I regard as the greatest and as an example to me in that way. And I appreciate your, you know, I, you used the word mentor of me. I thought that was very uh, bold of you. But uh, I, just, I just feel like I get a lot out of our time together of learning how to be a better pastor myself. So thank you for that. All right. One last thing I want to say in preliminary here is, is that I also learned a great tool for, uh, for preaching from Pastor Tommy Barnett of Phoenix First Assembly when I went to a conference he was at. And I'm going to employ that now if that's okay because I do have a lot to say and I know the service has been a little bit, we've had a lot of good things going on already, but I do need a few more minutes today to get everything out because I pretty much figure I'm only going to get one shot at this. So, uh, so here's what, what I learned from Pastor Barnett is, and I'm just going to ask you right now, how many would be willing to give me a couple more minutes today to preach to, okay, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. 10, 12, that should do it. All right, thank you. So I've always appreciated that. Now, none of what I just said counts against my time. I just want to be clear about that as well. As he said, uh, he asked me to preach today on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not because you're not knowledgeable and not because it's not well taught here, that is not the point, but this is the primary thing. He said he felt like the Lord told him to ask me. And by the way, that's good enough for me. Initially, I said no, didn't I? And then, but I made the mistake of praying about it, you know how that goes, and so here I am. Um, because I didn't feel like, what could I add to a church that already believes and has one of its values, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
But I think one of the things that we thought as we talked about it is, is that sometimes hearing someone else talk about it, sometimes hearing from a different perspective is helpful, don't you think? And so let's just go into it with that attitude that God has something to say to us today. I'm going to start by reading one verse uh, from Matthew chapter 3 that is, is uh, just going to serve as a launching point for our teaching time today, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, and we have it on the screen as well if I didn't give you time to turn there. But I'm going to ask you, if you would, to be ready to uh, also speak out loud the last sentence with me. So here we go, Matthew 3, 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Now read this last one with me, go. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Hallelujah. My title today is Baptized with Fire. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for this amazing opportunity to look into your word. I thank you, God, that you have uh, anointed us, all of us, me to speak and all of us to hear your word as it is spoken. And I pray that our, the soils of our heart, Lord, will be tilled up and ready to receive that seed of your word today. And Lord, not that we would just learn something for ourselves, but we would learn something that we could pass on to others, that, that we could see uh, everyone receive this fullness of the truth of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in not only in this church, but across our valley and this world. In Jesus Christ's name, amen? Amen, amen. amen. Back in uh, about 2005, we had a pilot that came to our church, and he, uh, he came to me one day, and he said, you know, tomorrow I have an empty Learjet that's going to Portland, and would you like a ride to Portland tomorrow? And I was already saying yes before he finished the sentence because I thought, man, how cool would that be? I have family in Oregon. I thought, well, we'll just get down there. We'll rent a car. At the end of the day, we drove back to Portland and we flew home. And so this was just, I thought, a great opportunity. And so I, I was excited about that. And, and uh, now I've been to Portland many times, but you know, and I've passed through it many times. And uh, every time I've gone, I've driven a car. Now it takes me usually five or six hours to get there by car. Uh, If I walked that distance, I figure it'd probably take me about 10 days walking about 10 hours a day, something like that. But I timed it in a Learjet. It was 31 minutes from Wenatchee Airport to Portland. I'm going to tell you, that was exhilarating. (laughs) That was fun, fun, fun. And you know, you think about that because there's a lot of ways to get to Portland, but so far my favorite is the Learjet. What makes the difference in the Learjet? Why was that so great? Because of the power, the amazing amount of power this thing had. You know, my car uh, has about maybe 250 horsepower. If I walk, I don't even have a horsepower. Unless I take a horse, then I have one. (laughs) But when you get in a Learjet, each of the two engines on the Learjet are 3,000 horsepower each, a total of 6,000 horsepower. When the fire began to burn in those engines and we took off, 31 minutes, people. I don't know about you, but I think that's great. The difference is the fire in the engines, amen? I love the story about the guy that walks into a hardware store. He's seen this chainsaw advertised. It supposedly will cut down and chop up six trees in an hour. It's the top of the line model. He walks in and he asks the, uh, the salesman about it. The guy leads him over to it. He picks it up and he takes it home. Next day, the guy comes back to the store looking very dejected, very disappointed. He said, this chainsaw doesn't work as advertised. It doesn't work at all. And the, the man says, well, what are you talking about? He's, the, guy, the salesman says, give it to me. He picks it up. He grabs it, pulls the start, starts it up. 
And the man looks at him and goes, what's that noise? <laughs> Makes a difference <laughs> when there's power, amen? <laughs> See, we can work hard and try to accomplish something, uh, but there are things that we can do as believers to make things more productive. When we get powerful help with something, it is amazing what we can accomplish. The difference in the jet and the chainsaw is the fire that produces this incredible result afterwards. Now, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. I have two points, and then we're going to uh, land the plane, not the Learjet, but my plane, all right? One day, or excuse me, on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, if you read in John chapter 20, it describes him walking into a room. The disciples are just amazed. Thomas isn't there in this particular instance, but they're standing there and they're looking and it's Jesus and he's with them and he begins to speak to them a little bit. And at the end of that chapter, he says to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he breathed on them. Now, how many here believe that if the resurrected Jesus Christ stands before you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit? So on that day, the disciples received the Holy Spirit. But less than 40 days later, Jesus will uh, say to these same disciples, now, wait, go to Jerusalem, wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This connects us back to the verse that we started with in, in Matthew chapter 3, it, 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 where it all started with John saying, you will be baptized with fire, the Holy Spirit, and with fire. So clearly, these disciples had not received everything that the Lord wanted them to receive. He, they received the Holy Spirit on that first day, but they had not received the gift that the Father had promised. And he said, wait for that. Wait in Jerusalem for that. The disciples didn't have everything they needed. And today, even today, among the people of God, people will willingly ask Christ to come and be their Savior and in that sense receive the Holy Spirit in them. Because listen, you can't be a believer at all without the Holy Spirit in you. It's Christ's Spirit. So that's, that's, let's just understand that about people who don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They have the Spirit. He is living in them. But the difference is he has not come upon them with power and with fire because they haven't received that. People will willingly receive Christ but not receive that gift. And, and so we want that gift. We want, every, we want every bit of power. We want to have what we need to be able to produce what God wants us to produce in this world. And the Bible says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's the power we need. I want to come at this from two different angles, two different points. Uh, first one uh, may start out a little strange. Hang on for just a moment. You might think I'm teaching heresy, but let me walk you through it and you'll see what I mean. Are you ready? Let's go. I want to talk about three baptisms, three baptisms. I believe the New Testament teaches us that there are three different baptisms. The, upon hearing that, we might all remember, wait a minute, in Ephesians 4, I know there's a verse, verse 5, it says there is one baptism, right? But that passage also says there is one God, but we also understand that God is triune, don't we? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just sang about him today. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit. Three in one we sang today. And so, so there's a tr there is truth in the fact that he is one God, but there's truth in the fact that he's also triune, he's three, three persons. 
In the same way, as there is one baptism, it is speaking of the three, these three put together into one. There's, there's something that God is doing through three different ways of approaching something that brings it into one. Let me, so this uh, triune concept of baptism speaks of us giving ourselves completely over to God in every way. Let me walk you through this a bit. The word baptism is what's called a transliterated word, meaning uh, transliterated means it was not, they didn't translate the word. The, The word in the Greek is baptizo, and you can say, wow, that sounds a lot like baptism. That's why. Because what they did is they decided, "La, let's not translate the word, let's just make up a new English word that will sound like the original word, and that's what it'll mean. Okay, and, and so, so that's, that's not a bad thing. It happens a lot, and a lot of the words we use, angels is the same way. Okay, so, so, but the problem is when you have a transliterated word is that the original meaning of that word can get lost, and it can get kind of shrouded in maybe religious or, or hyper-spiritual kinds of things around it rather than a clear understanding of what the root of that word really meant. And if it was translated rather than transliterated, we English speakers especially might have a better grasp on this. The, the word baptizo comes from the word bapto, and that's the primary word, and it's three primary ways that that word is, is translated or seen, uh, definitions. First is to cleanse or to clean by dipping into water. Sounds familiar, right? And that would result in purifying. Uh, another way would be uh, they would take cloth and submerge it in water with dye in it to color it and to change it. So that results in change. And the third way, which is one of my favorites, is to flood a sunken ship in every compartment of the ship gets filled. Come on, this is fun, all right? So, so resulting in that ship being completely filled, for us this can be seen as inviting Jesus Christ to come into our lives, and sometimes we'll talk about, God, we, we open every room of our heart to you, don't we, Lord? And that's the same way, we're gonna get flooded in every, and sometimes we have to kind of go over here and open the closets too, don't we? Come on, right? Because there's stuff that, well, Jesus, you're welcome in all these other parts, but this is my little personal. No, the Lord wants to flood every compartment of your life and my life. And so that word bapto is speaking of that, uh, that idea of complete fullness. So the one baptism in Ephesians 4 ha- is to, to, to have everything we are, listen to me, body, soul, and spirit, all right, baptized into all that God is. I mean, he wants to flood everything in every dimension of who we are, body, soul, and spirit. And so the, the, there's this idea the soul of, of three baptisms that we'll see. Let me go a little further with this so you'll see what I mean. The starting place for everyone in a relationship with God is the baptism into death, which is into the body of Christ. And Romans 6, 3 through 4 talks about that. It says, or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, although water baptism symbolizes what we just read, this passage is talking about becoming a Christian, coming to faith in Christ, and applying the blood of Jesus to our lives, amen, so that we are saved. We're coming from death to life, and so we're being baptized into his death. First John 5 uh, says, for there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. The normal progression is that we have a person who's baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. In other words, they're born again. 
and then we will most often take them to the water to be baptized in water with their body to be physically baptized as a, and you know, we, we believe in complete immersion, although I tried to baptize an 83-year-old woman once, and uh, as I got just to the point where her head was going under, she stiffened up. I've never felt such strength in my life, and uh, she wouldn't let the rest of her head go under, but I just kind of tripped a little over her head and <laughs> said, we're done, you know. <laughs> I don't think God's that picky about it, right? <laughs> so, but we, we get saved, we're baptized into death, then we're baptized in water, and then uh, we, among the Pentecostal variety and the Spirit-filled group, we come together and we believe also in a third baptism, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, on the, can I just tell you on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached his first message that day and 3,000 came to faith in Christ, what an amazing day. And can I tell you that, that what happened that day is they were baptized into the death, they were baptized in water, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were. Look at this from Acts 2.38. This is what Peter said at the uh, conclusion of his message. Repent, that's baptism into Christ, and be baptized in water, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All three, one day. Can you imagine the disciples sitting around after that day was over, sitting back and just, just kind of just reminiscing the day, and 3,000 people have just become believers. They've been baptized in water, and they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, just like the, oh my goodness, what a day that must have been. I would love to have a day like that, wouldn't you? I'd take 30 people doing that. That would be fun, I'll tell you. I, I would love that. But there, listen, so, so there, uh, we believe that these three things happen on that day. Now, there aren't any gospel-preaching churches that don't practice and believe in the first two baptisms. We preach Jesus, the shed blood, and the forgiveness of sins, and we all have some sort of way of getting people wet, albeit some by sprinkling. You're with me, right? Okay, but, but however, we who are Pentecostal or charismatic is another term we may use, or full gospel, which was part of your name apparently in 1950, uh, we include this third baptism, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me go a little bit different direction with this one. Remember the story of Elijah, everybody. Of course, on Mount Carmel, it's one of the famous stories of the Bible, and the, the, we love to teach that one to our kids. I mean, it's just a powerful, powerful moment. And the prophets of Baal, as you remember, have spent all day crying out to their God, and they've just they've been yelling and screaming. They even get as, as far as to begin to slash themselves so that their own blood is being poured out. Man, aren't you glad that our God shed his blood for us and we don't have to shed our blood for him? Whoa, thank you, Jesus. So, so, so they're doing all this and they're trying to get God's attention, but of course they're t calling on the wrong God. At the end of the day, it's Elijah's turn. As the sun is beginning to get low in the sky, he prepares an altar. And now listen to this. Listen, you know the story. He takes a bull and cuts it to pieces and places it on the altar. There's the baptism of death and of blood. Then he says, go get the four jars and fill them three times and pour water. And he poured water all over the sacrifice, all over the altar that had been built and down into the ditch that was around there till it was just standing water. And then he prayed a prayer, a, a, a short prayer really. I think sometimes we think we impress God with these. We just need to get, you know, we just need to cry out to God. We're desperate for you, Lord. And he prays a prayer, I think it was 52 words in our English Bibles, and, and the fire of God comes down, consumes the sacrifice, the stones, the water in the ditch, it's gone. There's the baptism of fire. 
Now what happens, this is, now you think, well, that sounds all great. But listen, this is why this is important for us people of God. Because what happens next is the false prophets are killed. A seven-year drought is ended. A nation is changed. A new prophetic voice is raised up in the next generation in Elisha. When the fire fell, God moved mightily, and the culture of the people changed. I'm going to tell you today, we need the fire of God to fall in the United States of America today. We need the culture of America to change today. And it's you and me, people of God, who believe in the baptism of fire are the ones that are going to see the greatest change take place as a result of our prayers and our efforts because we've got the power behind us to do what needs to be done. When the fire falls, change will take place, trust me when I tell you. And we need a change. We need the fire to fall in this land of ours. Now, there's a bit of a danger with us Pentecostal people because sometimes we get a bit focused on the gifts of the Spirit, especially unknown languages or tongues. Let me explain. I believe in and practice the gifts of the Spirit. I speak in tongues a lot, not as much as Paul, apparently. He speaks in tongues more than all of us, right? But, but I, and I believe, this is what I believe, I believe every spirit-baptized person can and should speak in other tongues, all right? Absolutely. So don't hear me when I just said what I said, downplaying the gifts or tongues at all. That is not my point. All of those things are critically important, but what, what, the, if, what I want us to see is there's something more to the baptism of fire that we might have missed because we focused so much on the gifts and so much on tongues. My second angle is this, power for holiness. Power for holiness. Thank you, Lord. I'm sure you remember again, I quoted it already partially, but Acts 1.8, here it is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Very familiar to us, isn't it? And I've heard many say in the past, and I've quoted this verse myself to say it this way, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. You'll receive power to be my witnesses. And we would come away thinking that that's what the power is for. And we'd be partially right. I was reading, many years ago, I was reading that text, and as I got through, you know how you sometimes get through something, you're reading, and all of a sudden, I just felt like an urge from the Holy Spirit that just said, you didn't get it, read it again. And I went back, I thought, how could I not get that? I can quote it for, you know, word for word. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of arguing with the Holy Spirit, which is a silly thing to do. Don't ever do that. But anyway, and so, so I looked back at it. I kept reading it and reading it. And then it stood out like a neon sign to me, the word and in that sentence. He said, you receive power and you will be my witnesses. And suddenly the meaning of that became more clear to me. I looked it up in the Greek text just to make sure because I thought, well, maybe the English translators just shoved that word and in there to make a sentence flow. It's in the Greek as well. It is what was said. It's what Jesus said. Now, I do believe that our witness is made more powerful by the baptism, but the promise for power stands on its own. It does. And there's more to the power than just witnessing. 
Now, I'm not saying witnessing is unimportant at all. Don't hear me say that. It's very important, but the power is standing on its own. He is promising power to people who are baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, so the power is partially for witness, and it's partially for the gifts, but there's one more thing that we often miss, and I just want to talk about as we kind of roll through the end of this second uh, point is that we miss the power we need for holiness. We need holiness in our lives. I think we all would agree with that. It's the refining power of this fire that we need in our lives. God is calling his church to be holy people and set apart. We know this. The answer to living a holy life, listen, look, is not legalism, right? Some of us grew up in some legalism in the past. And I'm going to just, we all know, because we tried to do things according to, I kind of liked legalism a little bit because it was really clear what I was supposed to do and what I wasn't supposed to do, but I still ended up doing the things I didn't want to do. Sound familiar? Okay. So, so the answer is not legalism. Legalism is the law. The law is perfect as a teacher showing us we can't live up to it. Nothing wrong with the law. It's perfect. But it just is basically saying, here you go. Try this. Ah. Didn't do it, okay? We can't live up to the required expectation of perfection by it. At the same time, the law is useless for changing behavior and lifestyle because what happens is, is that, that our hearts will end up doing what they want, sadly. It's getting quiet in here right now, Pastor Jerry. Your heart never does what it wants to do? I'm alone in this? No, we do. So what's the difference? How are we going to change? How are we going to truly change? The answer actually comes from within us. It's spirit fullness. It's the fire of the spirit fullness that's in us. Spirit baptism results in a radically different behavior and a lifestyle that flows from within our inmost being, like rivers of living water, remember? Not from an external set of rules that, that are put upon us. I love this because it makes living for Jesus so much better. <laughs> Romans 8, you've heard this, Romans 8, 3, uh, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, there's the problem, God did by sending his son, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but here it is, according to the spirit. That's how we live godly lives. That's how we live holy lives for God is with the help of the spirit and the power of the spirit working in our life. And I dare say those of us who are spirit baptized have more of the fire in us to live more holy lives. I'm not putting down any other group. I'm just saying we've got something they all need. We fulfill the righteous requirements of the law when we walk according to the Spirit. Galatians 5, I know you're familiar with these passages here in Galatians 5.19. Works of the flesh are evident. Ooh, they're adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, what a list. Murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, we read that list and we think to ourselves, oh my goodness, uh, that's those such, and especially at the beginning, idolatry, uncleanness, sorcery. And you think, we think to ourselves in our pious little state, we think, I would never do those things. And then we get to stuff in the middle though. Mm, come on, Lord. Contentions. I don't know. I've seen so much contention this last year, two years, really. 
Haven't you? Contentiousness among believers, right? Dissensions, selfish ambitions. Man, that stuff in the middle, that's, that's hitting me home. I'm not into murder and drunkenness and revelry. I don't do that stuff. I'm not into idolatry or sorcery, but I deal constantly with selfish ambitions and dissensions. And, you know, that's what we deal with. But the, then the scripture goes on, and this is from the NLT, a little bit different. But the Holy Spirit, ooh, thank you, Spirit, <laughs> produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So, so this is, I love this. This picture is perfect of, of fruit in our lives because fruit trees don't have to work at producing fruit, do they? No, we have wonderful fruit trees in our valley. We're, we're so blessed. But have you ever walked out into an orchard and seen an apple tree out there and heard the branches straining and going, <laughs> first of all, if you do find an orchard like that, tell me where it is so I can stay awake. That would be freaky scary, okay? No, of course not. They don't, listen, they don't have to work at it at all. As long as those branches stay connected to the vine, so to speak, right? They just kind of hang out. And wow, look at that. <laughs> Fruit just comes out of me. That's so good. And if they could talk, they would just say, it's easy. I just, I just allow the life to flow through me and poof, apples. It's amazing. But listen, they do produce fruit or they're cut down and thrown into the fire. This is, not, this is not saying fruit isn't important. Of course it is. That's the reason for the tree. In the same way, spirit-filled believers, the fruit of the spirit comes out naturally because it comes from within us. The life flow of the spirit of Jesus Christ in us produces fruit. And we don't have to work hard at that. That's, that's the righteous requirements of the law. That's like working hard. No, this just happens because we're living in the spirit and living by the spirit. We're walking with the spirit. But there is an expectation of fruit and good works. Can we say amen to that? Everybody needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit for this enhanced release of holiness in our lives. Some people think, okay, I've heard you, I'm with you, I'm on board, I like the sound of all that so far, but do I have to speak in tongues? Oh, come on. Do we still have to have that conversation? The Apostle Paul, who wrote uh, half of the books of the New Testament, who, without whom I would contend, we probably wouldn't even really know how to be saved, because it's he who explains the words of Jesus, what he said, what it comes to believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it, it, we, he explains it, and he makes it so that we understand. We wouldn't even know Christ if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul, and he says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Enough said. Let's trust Paul in this matter as we trust him for the other matters as well. But as I said a moment ago, we focus so much on tongues or things like that that has become a distraction to us. People who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'll say it again, can and should speak in other tongues. They should. But tongues is not the baptism. The baptism is a river flowing with water. It's a tree bearing good, good fruit. It's the fi- receiving the fire and the power of God in our lives that results in changed behavior, effective witness, and the gifts of God being used throughout the world. 
Amen? Amen. Amen. Worship team, come on back. Earlier I started with these examples of the chainsaw and the jet and, and you know, a lot of times like a, a jet sitting on the runway without its engines running or a chainsaw that hasn't been started, uh, we can work hard at things but we're not going to get the desired results. And if we feel like we've been working hard but not much is happening in our lives, we need the power of the Holy Spirit today. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit comes on you or upon you. That's the terminology of the book of Acts. It's different than when Jesus breathed on them and the Spirit came in them. Now the Spirit comes upon them. We're clothed with power from on high. And like the chains on the jet, though, when they're started up, they make a lot of noise. When you're a Spirit-filled believer, it's okay to make some noise, people. I know we didn't want to wake up a baby today, but it's all right to make some noise in the house of the Lord. We're we're supposed to be known for that. You know, it's okay. And sometimes it is in speaking in tongues and, and things like that. There's noise that comes from it. And this was seen in the upper room when the spirit baptism, the initial one, resulted in 120 people having fire. It came first into the room and then separated and came to rest on all of them. Listen, I don't know about you, what you think about when you hear that. Uh, when I used to read my children's Bible to them, it had a picture of that in the second chapter of Acts there, and it had a picture of a guy, and it showed, I think, a little tiny, like, candle fire on his shoulder, or maybe it was on his head, I don't, maybe it was a combination, but, you know, it's just a little, little tiny fire, but, but I'm thinking, don't you think maybe when he says you're going to be clothed with fire, that maybe that fire was toe to head? That sounds more like what, kind of like the thing... Think about it. Think about the pillar of fire in the wilderness. Think about the way God does it. I just picture something that started at their feet and wrapped all around them. They were baptized or the spirit had come upon them and this fire was showing that as it burned, as it burned. To live the holy life that God wants us to, we need the power of the spirit. So I'm asking you today, like Paul asked the believers in Ephesus, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Have you received the baptism of the Spirit that will give you the power to live that life and to also to stand up for what you believe even more? Have you received the baptism that gives you the ability to do miracles and signs and wonders? That's what we should be about, church. That's how the disciples did it. We need more miracles. We need more signs and wonders. It wasn't just Jesus that did those things. It was his disciples who were baptized in the spirit and had the fire of God enveloping their lives. And everywhere they went, it said that they did many signs and wonders. Many signs and wonders. And have you received that baptism? If not, today's your day. Hallelujah. You came to church on the right day for sure. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come. We'll have the deacons and the elders come in just a moment as well to pray with you. They're prepared to do that. If you want that power, you just ask God for it. Jesus said, if we ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, he will give him to us. So we, ask by, we start by asking and we worship. We wait on God to pour out his spirit. And just like those disciples in the Bible, I'm going to tell you, when he pours his spirit out on you, you're going to know it. You will know it. It's not like, well, I asked and no, just, you better just stay there till you know it. Because when he comes upon you in power, you, you can't help but feel something. Something's, I'm not going to define what you're going to feel, but I'm going to tell you, you will know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You'll know it. 
And when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, God gives you instantly the ability to speak in new languages that you've never learned before, that are powerful. Oh, they're so powerful. And you begin to speak in languages you didn't know. We call this tongues. And you'll also be able to prophesy at that time. That means to be able to speak better what God is saying to other people. We do it all the time. I believe that God is saying this. Well, God supercharges that in the life of a spirit-baptized believer. And besides those two gifts, there are miracles and faith and healing and discernment and wisdom and all you know, even more that becomes supercharged in your life. It's that amplified power, as well as the amplified power to live more holy lives for God. When the fire of the Spirit comes on you, nobody who is a believer here today should leave this place without receiving this power. Now, it might be there's some here, you've been here and you had an experience years ago, but you just haven't been practicing. You haven't been staying. You know, it's okay to ask him to do it again. In fact, the, the, the idea of being filled with the Spirit, we know from the Greek means to be being filled with the Spirit. It's a continual thing. None of us needs to ever think, ah, I've already arrived. I had that experience 20 years ago or 60 years ago. And no, listen, don't we all need a little more? <laughs> so I'm going to invite you to get some more today. But especially if you're here today and you need someone to pray with you to receive that baptism of fire today, you're going to make your way to the front in a moment. Let me just say this too. If you're here and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, uh, that's your starting place. Before we get to the power part, you need the blood part. You need to receive the baptism of death into Christ. And these, these who will come to the front, the elders and the deacons are prepared to also. So say, I need to get right with God first. Then you get baptized in the spirit. And our church has loaned you a baptismal tank that's in the back. And then you can get baptized in water, right? <laughs> or the river, doesn't matter. We like to share, don't we, Pastor Jerry? So I want to pray for us today. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this powerful thing that you have done in pouring out your spirit. And thank you for how your son described it as it's a gift. Wow, who doesn't want a gift from the Heavenly Father? <laughs> thank you, Lord. We, all of us, Lord, spirit-filled or not, we just want what you have for us. Pour out your spirit upon each of us, Lord. I cry out this for myself, for Pastor Jerry, for every single person in this room, for all those who are online. We ask that there would be a refilling and a refreshing of the spirit and that out of us, out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water for those around us. I ask you to bless us and to bless this time of, of just drawing near to you, this time of coming to the altar, worshiping you, and drawing near to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We know that everything we're experiencing here is temporary. Our reward will come that day that we enter the presence of Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart and you want to do that today, I just want you to raise your hand. Just going to take a moment. I just want to make sure that each of you have that opportunity and have made that decision. So tough to live in today's culture, in today's world. But Jesus can make all the difference in your perspective. Just wait a moment. 
just trust everyone here has accepted Christ. And I know that many of you, perhaps this sermon has been a, a call to kind of adjust your perspective. So I want to pray for you, that your eyes will not be on that little paper cut that's a distraction, but your eyes will be upon all you have now and eternally in the spiritual blessings of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for this congregation, not only those in this room, but those who are watching on live stream today. Some have been through some difficult, difficult journeys the last two or three years. Lord, they're, they're burdened. They're worn out. They're tempted to throw in the towel and say, what's the use? But today, we pledge to be like the Apostle Paul and realize that you're causing all things to work together for our good. That whatever we're facing today is temporary. You're with us. You're working for us, even in our painful times. Help us to do like Paul and renew our mind daily. May hourly we speak to you and ask that you be our guide. May your Holy Spirit be truly that paraclete, that one called alongside to help. Thank you, Jesus, that you're with us. Thank you, Lord, that we know that you win in the end. You come back. Justice will prevail. You will right the wrong. And we look forward to that day. And as our eyes are upon you, our Savior and our soon coming King, we can rejoice today because of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen and amen. Stand together. Would you join me?